So if you have your Bibles, you have your electronic devices, why don't, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be all over in the book of Proverbs. And, and uh, um, normally I, I speak and, and, and I, we go through series, whether it's a book of the Bible, whether it's a topic I decide to, to preach on, and, and we'll do series four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. Well, in the month of February, I'm going to do some standalone messages, and I'm going to talk about some things that I've always wanted to talk about. Uh, and then in, in March, we'll launch a brand new series in March 1st, the first weekend of March. Our life groups kick back up. And for any of you that want to be in a life group, would like to get connected in community, uh, you can fill out your Connect card and tell us your desire and some other ways. Put them in the box, go to the website, whatever. Uh, especially starting February the 15th, a uh, couple of weeks, we'll have information on the website. This morning, I want to talk to you about something uh, that's been on my heart for quite a while that a lot of times is maybe ignored in, in the local church. A lot of Christians don't talk about this subject, but I want to talk to you about the, the power of your work and, and, and how everything that we do is spiritual. Now listen, if those of you who have been with us, you know that the first weekend of every month, we do two things. We do the Lord's Supper and we do baptism. Well, this week, in fact, is this month and continually uh, this month, I'll, I'll figure out how to say this properly in just a second, uh, we're changing. That'd be better. We're just changing. Uh, last year, we baptized 160 people, and as a result of that, it was difficult doing baptisms and Lord's Supper on the same weekend with the number of people that we're now baptizing. As a result of that, we're going to do it on two different weekends. So the first weekend of the month will be the Lord's Supper. The last weekend of the month will be baptisms. So if you're awaiting baptism, if you'd like to get baptized, we'd love to baptize you in the month of February. You can also in indicate that on your Connect card. Pastor Dwayne will get in touch with you about that. So that's just a little bit of a scheduling change to make you aware of. But anyway, about this issue of your work. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about the power of your work, about, about your work life. Uh, you know, the last couple of days, Karen and I have been with grandkids, and so this illustration is really simple, uh, and mainly not only because I've been with grandkids, but because I'm pretty simple. And so there's a fundamental problem, I think, with Christianity. There's a fundamental problem with Christianity in, the, in America, and in my view, it's the difference between waffles and coffee. That's deep, right? Aren't you glad you came this morning? I don't know how your kids were or, or your grandkids, but, but when our daughters were young and, and we would have waffles and Karen would make waffles for the kids, it wasn't that the kids drowned the, the waffles in syrup as much as they would take and they would want to try to get syrup in every compartment, every square of their waffles. You guys, yeah, some of your moms are like, yeah, my kids were just like that. And so it wasn't that they just drowned it in it, but it was that it's they wanted to get syrup in every compartment of their waffles. You see, there's a lot of people that live Christianity like that, and they don't fill every square of their life with God. In other words, they compartmentalize out their Christian life. And so what they do is this. They say, God, in, 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 in my church square, it makes sense to put you there. And so when I'm at church, God, we're going to fill you in that square. And then when I go to life group, we're going to put you in that square. And God, you know, when we're, we're, when we're with Christian friends, uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll put you there. I mean, totally makes sense to us. But, but God, you know, those, you know those other squares? That's my life. That's me. That's like my life. And so the fundamental problem of Christianity is this. There's a lot of Christians that live their life compartmentalizing out God. Like they can fill him in some compartments of their life and not others. See, it's a lot more like coffee. I mean, well, when you drink coffee, you don't take in the coffee beans and chew them up and swallow them and then drink some hot water and then take sweet and low and throw that down your throat and maybe some creamer. You don't do that, right? 
you know what you do? You, you, you get a perfect blend, right? Uh, you get a perfect blend of coffee beans and hot water and, and sugar and, and, and sweeteners and creamers and whatever else you like in coffee. And you get and you mix it together in that perfect blend. See, that's the picture of the Christian life where everything's integrated together. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of your work. But listen, before we can talk about the, the priority that God says about your work, because I'm telling you, there's a lot of Christians that have destroyed their testimony because of their work ethic. To where because of the way that they work, because of the way they go about their jobs, they, they really can't witness to someone because their testimony, the way in which they do their job, screams louder than anything else in their life. And so you got to understand this. you got to understand that there is a difference between your personal identity and your positional identity. Now, over the last four weeks in the series New Beginnings, we talked about your personal identity is different, or we talked about your personal identity is, is uh, who you are in Christ, and you're forgiven, you're deeply loved, and all that other stuff. See, your, your positional identity is this. Your positional identity is not who you are, it's what you do. But a lot of people get that confused. But see, your positional identity is not who you are, it's just what you do. Whether you work in the home and you're a mom and you're a homemaker and all those other things, or if you work outside of the home, uh, if you're a, a, a school teacher, a secretary, a receptionist, a construction worker, a, a plumber, a, a contractor, an engineer, a doctor, a nurse, or whatever. But listen, let me tell you something. Your positional identity, what you do is not who you are. There are a lot of people that get that confused. Your personal identity is this. Your personal identity is who you are. Your personal identity is who you are in Christ. I'm telling you, the greatest power in your life and the greatest power in my life is when you have a, a, a firm foundation of, of your personal identity, of who you are in Christ. Everything that you do is spiritual. The spiritual impacts the physical. And that everything you do and everything that I do, guess what, is spiritual. And when you have a healthy personal identity and a healthy positional identity, it gives you great worth. It gives you great self-worth. The danger is, is whenever we, we confuse the two and people believe that their positional identity is really who they are. That's why sometimes you can carry so much emotion in the workplace when things go, don't go the way that you feel they should or someone, someone reviews you or someone talks or whatever because you've come to believe that, guess what? That's who I am. Now listen, I had to work through this in my life in 1994. In 1994, I was, I was in Houston, Texas, and, and I was in the engineering uh, profession, and, and God called me out of that, and God called me here. And you know what? I realized that I'd crossed over, and I believe that my personal identity was wrapped up in my positional identity. I'd never been a pastor before, never really wanted to be a pastor my wife didn't marry a pastor, and she's about ready to become a pastor's wife and all the trappings of that and all the stuff of that. And, and we went through a period because where she prayed and I prayed, and God confirmed in her heart that she was supposed to do this, and God confirmed in my heart that we were supposed to do this. But I still had to work through the issues that my life is not wrapped up in what I do. I am a pastor, but that is not who I am. See, in the early days of being a pastor, all of a sudden it got wrapped up in that, that I was a pastor. And then when I was learning to preach, and I preached some really, really bad sermons, and there were some people that made me aware of how bad they were, <laughs> it crushed me. 
because I believe that's who I was. And there's something that happened in my life spiritually to where, you know what, now, me being a pastor, that's not who I am. That's what I do. And even if I, and I do, even if I, even if I preach a crummy sermon, I don't know if you know this, I have never preached a message and walked off the platform and said, nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Just never have. Usually I mispronounce a word, I use poor English, I use a bad illustration, I use an offensive illustration, you know, shouldn't have said that and whatever, and I walk off and you know what, that's what I hear. Early in my ministry, that wrecked me and my, that destroyed me because I believe that's who I was. Now, when you, and I'm telling you, if you can grab this, if you grab that, listen, what you do is not who you are. To where I would hope if I say something stupid and it makes the YouTube real and people are laughing at it, it wouldn't destroy me because I'd know, you know what, that's not who I am. I'm a child of God, I am forgiven. I am deeply loved by him. He will never leave me or forsake me. He doesn't love me based upon what have you done for me lately or a highlight reel. Telling you, if you can grab this, it'll change everything in your life, in your work life. I just grabbed some statistics this last weekend. 150,000 hours of your life will be spent working. 40% of your waking hours will be spent working. Do you think God has something to say about that? 40% of your life, let let, let me just tell you. If God is not involved in your work life, he's not involved in your life. He wants to be involved in every compartment of your life. And guess what? You know what scripture teaches? God wants every one of us to succeed. uh, Proverbs 16.3 says this. It says, Commit your actions to the Lord, and guess what? And your plans will succeed. So this is a conditional promise of Scripture. There's, there's unconditional promises of Scripture, and there's conditional promises of Scripture. God promises that he'll never leave us. He'll, 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 he'll love us and never leave us, never forsake us. That is an unconditional promise. That promise is based upon his character, not your actions. When you're in Christ, you're totally loved, you're perfect, you're complete, all of those things. But when you look in Scripture, you realize that there are conditional promises of Scripture. That if you'll do this... God will do this. If you do this, God will do this. And so there's unconditional and there's conditional promises of Scripture. And so with every promise, there comes a condition. And so Proverbs 16.3, he says, commit your way to the Lord and you will succeed. So what does it mean? What does it mean to commit your way to the Lord? What does it mean to take that 40% of your life, the 40% of your waking hours, and commit that area to your life to where you see it part of your spiritual life? You don't compartmentalize it out, and you make God a partner. So four things for you this morning is is we just look at this issue about the area of our work. The first thing is this, that if you're going to commit your way to the Lord, it requires prayer and planning. It requires prayer and planning in our life. Proverbs 15.8 says this, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. Again, Proverbs 16.3, Commit your actions to the Lord or commit your ways to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Fact is, there's a major theme in the book of Proverbs about a planned life. In other words, there's a lot of people in the world that will tell you, you want to succeed in life? 
work hard. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that's part of it, but that's not all of it. The Bible says just hard work alone will not get it there. Uh, in fact, just look at this. Proverbs 21.5 says this. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. In other words, what the Bible says is this. It takes a little bit more than just hard work. I mean, it, it takes proper planning. Listen, I know. I know a lot of people who work hard, and they may be, they may be making a living, but they're not making a life. Man, I, I know a lot of people who are successful, and they're really going nowhere fast. In other words, what the writer of Proverbs says, the writer of Proverbs says it takes a little bit more than hard work. It takes planning, and it takes... It takes prayer. It takes seeking God's direction. So your, your direction determines your destination. The direction, the road that you're choosing right now determines a destination. Proverbs 16.20 says this, Those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who trust in the Lord will be joyful. In other words, what he's saying, you know what, those that live their life in such a way to where someone can speak into their life, someone can correct, someone can encourage and support, someone can give instructions and they'll, they'll adjust their life, says, you know what, those people prosper. In other words, here's what I've learned. When you, when you commit your work, when you commit your way to the Lord, it will relieve you of a lot of stress because the results are up to him, not you. See, when you understand that, when you commit your way and all of a sudden God is like, God is there with you, then, then you do what you can do and he does what only he can do. So, so what the scripture says, it takes good planning and it takes hard work. So have you ever asked God, God, what do, you want, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want to do with that 40%? Have you ever set any goals? Have you, have you asked God, God, what do, you, what do you want to do with my life? I, I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I may have made a living, but I didn't make a life. And when I look back over my life, I realize that not a lot of what I did will impact the kingdom. I mean, if we're honest, it takes a lot of hard work to organize and plan. It takes work and it takes effort. But listen, the problem is not, well, the problem is not information. Have you ever known someone that's just like really, really smart and they have all the information and they still make bad decisions? See, the problem is not just information. I mean, Solomon was one of the wisest men of his time. I mean, the scripture records that he was the wisest man. If you look at historians of their day, you'll realize that even secular people, people without God, uh, looked at Solomon as one of the wisest men to have ever lived. Solomon comes to a place in his life, very, very successful, very wealthy, has a large kingdom, and all of a sudden Solomon gets a place in his life to where he's worried he's going to lose his kingdom. And so he had a decision to make. Am I going to trust God? Will I continue to trust God or am I going to trust self? You know what Solomon did? Solomon decided, you know what, I'm trusting God, I'm trusting self. I'm trusting myself for that 40% of my life. 
And so what Solomon did when his kingdom was threatened, he did what all the other kings would do when they wanted to protect their kingdom. You know what they'd do? They, they would take and they would start marrying daughters of area kingdoms, of area kings, and then they would start making alliances with those guys. God's word warned against that. God's word said, don't do that. But Solomon decided, you know what? I know better than God. Nobody's going to speak into my life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with that 40% of my life. And so, God, so Solomon makes these alliances, takes foreign women to be his wives. It destroyed his legacy. It destroyed his family. It destroyed his kingdom. And in other words, this, we need God. That's why over and over in the book of Proverbs, this phrase, don't be wise in your own eyes. In the margin of my Bible, when that phrase came up, don't be wise in your own eyes, I just wrote just a, a quick phrase that said, pride overrules wisdom every time. See, wisdom is what comes from God. Wisdom would be, be insight that comes from God, uh, how we should handle our life. But here's the deal. Your pride, if you're not careful, if your pride is unchecked, if your pride is running wild in your life, it will overrule wisdom every time. It, in other words, this, pride will have a louder voice in your life than God's voice. See, that's what happened to Solomon. See, we really don't need more information. You know what we need? We need a father. A lot of people will tell you, you know what you need? You need more common sense. But here's what I'm learning in life. Common sense isn't too common, right? We don't need more common sense. You know what we need? We need a Savior. And we need to understand that, guess what? God wants to take my work life, and God wants, to, God wants to use it. I mean, when you sit down and read biographies, you sit down and talk with successful people, you know the crazy thing about successful people? You realize that they do more long-range planning and setting goals than anybody else. Telling you, if you want to be successful, God, what do you want to do with my, with my life in, in, in 15 years? Where do you want me? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be involved in? So, Prayer and planning. The second thing is this, is, is preparation. In other words, you're taken to develop the talents and the abilities, the spiritual gifts that God has given you. In other words, this, what the scripture says is, you and I should never stop learning. You and I should never stop improving the, the skill set that God has given us, the spiritual gifts that God has given us. See, here's what happens. Paul began talking to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. And Paul begins speaking into Timothy's life, trying to help him as he starts out his career, as he starts out his life with pastoring a church. Here's what he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He writes, this is why I remind you to fan into the flames the spiritual gift. In other words, your talents, your abilities, the gifts that God has given you, gave you when I laid uh, my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power, love, and self-discipline. In other words, this, you know what Paul was telling Timothy? Timothy, as a pastor, never quit learning. Never quit improving the spiritual gifts that God has given you. And the same goes for you. That you should, as a, as a, as a leader, as a worker, you should be a learner, and you should continually develop the gifts that God has given you. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 10.10 would phrase it this way, and he would say, using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. You know what Solomon says? Solomon says, you know what brings success in, in the workplace? Success in ministry is this issue of skill. In other words, to where you learn to work 
smarter, not harder. I mean, we got a, years back, we got this fire pit that, that, we, that we have in the backyard, and we, we do hot dogs and s'mores, and, and uh, it's just great fun. And, and I uh, ordered a, a cord of wood. I didn't really know how much a cord of wood was. I'll have wood the rest of my life burning in that. <laughs> and I got this axe. I got, a, I got a big axe, and it's just, you know, and I got it. And so, and here's what I noticed about it. You know what? You know what? After a while, after using that axe for a while, it dulls. And when it dulls, you know what? Someone's going to get hurt. And it, it just takes a lot of effort to chop wood and to split wood with a dull axe. And that you have to take time, and you have to take time to sharpen the axe and get it sharper. And so when you sharpen the axe, it takes, it, it takes less, less effort. And you can do it quicker, and you become more efficient. And so what Solomon's saying, Solomon's saying, develop the gifts that God has given you. I mean, you look at this in Joseph's life. You look at this in David's life. You look at this in Daniel's life. The, you know the crazy thing about those guys? They sharpened their skill in some of the most difficult circumstances. In other words, well, you look at David, you look at Joseph's life and unbelievable work situations that he was in. He didn't allow, allow, he didn't allow himself to get bitter and angry and talk about his stupid boss or his stupid company to affect his work to affect the way he does his job. You know, occasionally I'll come across someone and someone will say, you know what, I, I, I lost my job. I say, oh, I'm so sorry. And they go, oh, don't be sorry. I hated that job anyway. Like, do you think your boss caught on? <laughs> tell you, I cannot tell you over the weekend, this message has been different in two services, definitely going to be different in this service as well. Can I just tell you this? I receive more text message and emails from employers and business owners in our church. They said, there's not one message that could impact people than people understanding that God wants to be involved in your work and the way in which you do your job. I'm telling you, David and Daniel and Joseph, they didn't get bitter, they didn't get angry. They rose to the top in difficult circumstances because they didn't confuse the two. They knew who they were. They knew their personal identity, and they knew their positional identity. And they understood that, guess what? God wants to use the 40% of your life to reach others. I mean, let me ask you. Are you more valuable to your employer this year than you were a year ago? But I would hope it could be said of me that some of you would say, you know what? He preaches better message than he did last year. Are you more valuable to an employer? Because I'm telling you, part of your testimony is in the workplace. And where you continually learn. And, and because all leaders are learners. And the moment that you and I stop, stop learning, we stop leading. Now listen. You can sharpen the axe, I think, by one of two ways. You can either sharpen your axe and improve your skills by trial and error. In other words, you make all the mistakes yourself. Uh, you'll hear people say, you know what, I just, I just learned by school of hard knocks. Well, that's one way. I don't think it's the most efficient. Life is short. I don't have enough time to make all the mistakes myself. And so life is just short. Right? And so there's another way. You can learn from other people. 
See, wise people, leaders learn that, you know what, I, you know what I, I can learn from the experience of others. In other words, I don't have time to make all the mistakes myself. As a result of that, I need to get some people around me. I need to get some mentors around me. I need to get some people around me that are doing some of the things maybe that I would like to do in business or occupation or whatever. And to where I can, listen, I'm telling you, you can learn from the mistakes of others. This is how you sharpen your skills. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans go wrong for a lack of advice. And many advisors bring success. As I'm telling you, pride trumps wisdom all the time. And there are a group, people, a group of people, you know what? No one can teach them anything. Nobody's going to speak in my life. Nobody's going to tell me how to do it. I don't need anybody. I can figure it out. But Proverbs would say, you know what? That's just unwise. To where you get mentors and you get people around you and you build a network of people that can sharpen your skills and help you. Listen, I, I just believe this at the core. Christians of all people should be the most skilled people in the workplace. We should have employers in Pueblo, Colorado saying, I need to hire more Christians. They show up on time. They don't cheat me on their breaks. They don't cheat me on the lunch hour. They don't knock off early. They don't do personal stuff on business. They're the most hardworking, ethical people I know. They don't get bitter. They don't get angry. They don't gossip. They don't, they don't do any of that other stuff. They're just different. And so it means that I seek his guidance to where you ask God, God, what do you, what do you want of me? What do you want to do with, with this 40% of my life? The third thing is this. If we're going to commit our way to the Lord, if we're going to commit our actions to the Lord, is this, profit sharing. In other words, when I, when I commit my way to the Lord and I make, and God is really involved in that square of my life and he's really a, part, a partner, it includes giving back to him. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of, of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And so here's another conditional promise of Scripture. And so he says that if you'll honor me with the first part, if you'll honor me with profit sharing, then guess what? I'm going to bless your job. I'm going to bless your career. I'm going to bless your family. I mean, it's crazy sometimes Christian bumper stickers and, and especially church signs. I mean, what churches put on church signs. I have, I have a file of pictures of just church signs. And, and I just wonder, I, I know we're about ready to get off, and I'm so sorry. But one day I'm going to do a sermon series on, 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 on church signs and bumper stickers. There's a, there's a church, I won't tell the church, church in our community that one time had a, had a church sign. They actually put this on the sign. And it said, Jesus said, women should remain silent in church. Yeah, yeah, I wonder who did that. A man. <laughs> I told Karen I saw the sign and sent her a picture of it, sent her a sign and said, hey, next time we have a discussion, we're going down to the church. <laughs> it did not go well. But I was driving one time, and I saw a Christian bumper sticker, and the bumper sticker said this. It says, God is my business partner. That's what it said, and I'm like, man, great bumper sticker. wonder what that means. Does he share in the profits? Do you get 50%, 20%, 10%? What does that mean? See, I'm going to rattle off a, a list of names of men. It's just really interesting to me, and, and then I'll come back and tell you what these men have in common. William Colgate, founder of Colgate Palmolive Corporation. Henry Kroll, founder of Quaker Oats. William Proctor, founder of Proctor & Gamble. Uh, R.G. Letourneau, founder of Letourneau Corporation. That's Earth Movers. 
uh, Wallace Johnson, founder of Holiday Inns, uh, Robert Welch, founder of Welch's Grape Juice, John D. Rockefeller Sr., founder of Standard Oil, J.C. Penney, founder of J.C. Penney Stores. You know, all these men, I've read their biographies. You know what all these men have in common? They all have strong testimonies how tithing, returning back to the Lord, played a key element in their success as business leaders. Read the story of a man, young man in Chicago area, and he decided that what he would do is, is he would start a cheese business. And so he wanted to start this cheese business, and he started a cheese business, and it failed miserably, and uh, this many years ago, and, and he had to file bankruptcy. And so he was in a restaurant with a friend, and he was talking to his friend about this whole, whole issue of, um, of, his, of his business, and it failed and everything else. And, and the, the man across the table looked at him and says, well, well, you're a Christian, right? And he goes, yeah. And he says, well, have you ever thought about making God a, a business partner? And he goes, never thought about that. He goes, well, God wants to be involved in your work life. It's the same with every other part of your life. How about this? What if you thought about starting a cheese business again, and this time making God a partner, and this time sharing some of the profits with him as the Scripture says? And the man says, you know what? I'll try it. I don't know why I hadn't thought of it. I'll try it. And so he's, from this point on, God's going to be a, a business partner in my life. You know who the man is? J.L. Craft. I'm telling you. J.C. Penney, at the end of his death, was tithing, giving back 90% of his income to the local church. J.C. Penney said this, my life is proof that you cannot outgive God. And have you committed your life to him? Because listen, I'm telling you, if you're going to spend almost half your waking hours at work and God is not involved in your work, then God is not involved in your life. Everything that we do is spiritual. Everything. The last thing is this, perseverance. Perseverance, when you look in Proverbs, is like this major theme. And, the, and so the writer of Proverbs builds up some contrast and says, the sluggard or the lazy guy, the lazy guy does this, but the diligent guy does this. The lazy guy does this, but the, but the persevering guy does this. And so when you start reading Proverbs, you realize that this perseverance and persistence and diligence and determination and tenacity and, and endurance, that these are all qualities that are required for successful work. In other words, this issue of perseverance is the ability to keep going. Proverbs 12, 24 says, work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a, a slave. In other words, this, persistence pays off. And you know what I find? I find that Christians give up so easily. So many Christians just get discouraged, they get bitter, they get angry, and they just quit so easy. You know what I've learned? You can become a success by outlasting your critics. Man, don't let your critics rule you. Man, don't let your critics telling you. You keep doing what you're doing, sooner or later your critics will get tired. Because they'll realize, you know what? They're not changing. Just real quickly, and, and I'll make this quick. 1 Samuel chapter 17. David is a shepherd boy, and he's about ready to... To, to uh, it's right before he's going to fight David, uh, he's going to fight Goliath. And David's dad, David's dad says, I want you to go to the battle line where your brothers are, and I want you to take them lunch. Take them some cheese and take them some bread. And so David goes to the battle line, and he sees his brothers there. It's kind of sibling rivalry. He shows up, and his brothers start criticizing him and trashing him and talking about his motives and all of this other stuff. And, and David says, what have I done? You know, I'm just trying to bring you lunch. 
It's all I'm trying to do. And you're, 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 you're criticizing me. You're trashing me. And then the scripture says that David just simply turned his back to his brothers and continued to speak what God had told him to speak. And all of a sudden, God blesses him and David and Goliath and that, that whole deal. I'm telling you, here's the thought. It's difficult to serve people who are criticizing you, right? Talking to some moms right now. It's difficult to serve people and serve a family that could be criticizing you and talking about you. It's difficult to serve in the workplace and just to serve people, and yet they're, let they're criticizing you. But you see, in, in David's life, David understood it, and David got it. And David understood that his positional identity was not who he really was. He knew who he was in Christ and he'd been forgiven. That's why Proverbs 21.5 says, says, Good play and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to, to poverty. And this issue of just not giving up and this issue of just, just continuing to do what God has called you to do. I mean, I read about the story of the man. He was the first man that flew across the English Channel in a plane. You know how many planes he built? He built 11 planes. His 11th plane made it across. What would have happened if he stopped at plane 7, stopped at plane 8? Listen, so many of us, we give up way too early in life. Well, listen. You can work for three areas, one of three areas of motivation. You can be either motivated from external motivation, and in other words, that, I, I work for a paycheck, I work for, I've worked for bonuses, I work for status, I mean, it's a part of my positional identity, so I, I, I work for all that. Or you can work for internal motivation and say, you know what, the reason I work, I work for immediate gratification. I work for, it, it helps me with my self-worth, I like telling people what I do, you cross over and believe that, you know, what I do is who I am, and that's not true, and so, but you work for that, you work for a sense of self-worth, or, or that feeling, or the third one is this, and the third one is what keeps you going through difficult time, I work for eternal motivation. Man, I get it, I understand. Man, I work for him. Colossians 3.23 says this about the workplace. It's one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament about the workplace. It says this. It says, work willingly at whatever you do. As though working for the Lord. So you, you, you understand this, right? You have a boss. But he or she is not your real boss. As a believer, we've got to grab that. Work willingly at whatever you do. As though working for the Lord rather than for people. Rather, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance and a reward and then the master you are serving is Christ that's why Christians should be the most dedicated workers there are 